November 7th is 2010. Our message this morning is dirt and superheroes. Don't be alarmed at the fact that there is a PowerPoint presentation. There's just a handful of slides. That's really not my deal. There's just some visual aids that I wanted to show you. You see that there's a scripture written there. It's Romans 8:19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Amen. This is a scripture that most people associate with eschatology. Most people think that this is something that is in the future. I would tell you that there is a great yearning, a great frustration in the creation right now, waiting to see who belongs to Jesus and who doesn't. And you don't have to wait until the fulfillment or the culmination of the ages that is to come to, to be sons of God right now. We have a... a habit when we read the scripture of placing everything into a future tense. Everything will happen. One day I will be more like Jesus. One day I will be more spiritual. One day there will be a resurrection of the dead. And you can miss what is happening right now. So the heart of our message I wanted to get into, but as I did that, you see the word dirt written on the screen, right? This is not just what my 7th grade PE teacher called me. This is a substance that the earth is made out of, right? So if you were ever called dirt, there's an amazing comparison that can be made. The, the, the person who called you dirt might have been 50% right. What we have right here, we're going to pass it around for you to look at. It's not Oreos. Don't eat it. In Louisiana, there's a cake that people make sometimes that looks like that. This is dirt. And what you see on this chart in front of you is that the earth's crust has mostly in it oxygen, uh, hydrogen, carbon, the same elements that are in the human body. Uh, in fact, <laughs> once you get past oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon, the other 7% of the human body is about 12 minerals that are all found in the Earth's crust. Now, this is interesting since Genesis 2-7 says something. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now there's one message in the fact that the chemical composition of dirt is similar to the human body. And maybe we could go off on a creationist type argument and uh, build our camps and fight about the particulars of that. But I don't think that it would impact your life in a meaningful way. I wanted to tell you that we were formed right out of the dirt and most of our lives we spend trying to escape it. Do I have any OCDC friends out there? Oh, come on, now y'all are lying. Come on, now, there's nobody out there that has... Yeah. Yeah, I threw an extra C in there. That was almost a rock band from Australia. Yes. We're not claiming that for fun. What we're saying is that some people are more obsessed with getting free from dirt than others, but no human being wants to be covered in dirt. Hence the term, that's dirty, right? That's, that's, not, a, 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 that's not a compliment, usually. We wash our little kids when they're all dirty and we bring them inside. We have floors and mops that, that we use so that they don't show dirt. And we're always working to get free from this substance that we were created right out of. And there's a reason for that. In the third chapter of Genesis, the very earth, the dirt itself, was cursed. It would no longer be fruitful. If we think of your flesh as something that was made from dirt... Your flesh also has a curse upon it. And nothing that comes from your flesh will be fruitful. So all of our lives we're looking at a way to push dirt down and elevate our spirit. But it's an interesting thing. 
The very same way that dirt is treated, people treat the human body. In fact, you don't want to, ladies, you don't want to kiss your husband when he's got dirt and nastiness all over, right? Like I've been playing lumberjack the last few days. My wife wouldn't be excited to come kiss me while I've got that dirt and grease all over me. What does she want me to do? Go wash up first, right? Don't want people to track dirt into your house, right? You just cleaned it. You don't want it all nasty again, do you? You certainly don't want dirt all in the sheets on your bed, do you? No, in fact, that's kind of a gross thing even to think about, isn't it? Well, <laughs> when the Spirit leaves your body and you're lying in a box, do people want you in their house? Do they want you in their beds? Do they just love to come hug on you, kiss on you? No. The dirt without the Spirit is something that can't, I mean, it's, it's not pleasing. The flesh without the Spirit is not pleasing. But we need to not forget that something has happened here. There's a divine union that has taken place. The Word says the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. God put something into that dirt that made it no longer just dirt. He put some of Himself in it. Brother Gabriel sang a song we had not planned to sing, but it speaks of an unforeseen kiss I'm telling you there is a divine union that occurs just by breathing as if the divine is kissing the earthly in that moment and it produces a gift that is life. This is a powerful thing. Now in the Bible when it says God breathed, right? This word is nashima. And look, the whole message is not going to be about nashima. Just, just give me this one little moment. It doesn't just mean to blow gently. It is like a violent rushing when? Now do those words sound familiar to you? Yeah. Something divine happens when God breathes into dirt. It becomes more than the potting soil you're passing around. It becomes a living, breathing example of what is possible when God unites, when the Creator unites with the creation. This is what we're living, breathing testimonies to. You are a divine union between the earthly and the heavenly. Able to bridge the gap between the two. Able to stand in both places at one time. This is how the Word presents this. You remember the candy now and later? Yeah. yeah. God loved these. I want to go ahead and get this confession out of the way. Both my parents are in the service today. Uh, we lived in these little apartments in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for a while. And I once stole a March of Dimes collection. And I went door to door. And I collected for the March of Dimes, but I actually uh, went and bought now and later. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what was wrong with me. Uh, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, and uh, the rod drives it far from him. And my father was capable of using a belt, and hopefully drove most of it out of my life. Having said that, the church has a problem with now and later. Turn with me to, Genesis, uh, to Exodus 37. Ezekiel 37. Yeah, you can't speak today. It's a problem when you're a pastor or a preacher and cannot speak. Huh? Now and later. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. 
You ever hear that old spiritual bones, bones, them dry bones? Singing about this. When we hear about this passage, you're going to hear about a valley of dry bones and a man of God that is told to do something. And most of the time, your mind immediately goes forward, those of you that are familiar with this passage, to a time in history where there will be a resurrection from the dead, right? You begin to think about the way in which the glorified body comes upon us. I've many times taught this passage that way. It's kind of a now and later problem. We tend to look at the Scripture and we think about it later rather than right now. See, because at the time this was written, something had happened. It's somewhere in the 500s B.C., between 500 and 600. Babylon has come in and attacked Israel, carried off all of their things back to Babylon, and Ezekiel is prophesying. Having just watched the armies of Israel completely decimated, I mean absolutely wiped out, if you were hearing Ezekiel speak and that was what you had just seen, what would you think these Valley of Dry Bones are? Israel's armies, right? And they're not just dead. They're, they're dead so long that the vultures have picked them clean. And they're not just picked clean. They're dry. There's no life left in them. This is how Israel felt. You never felt that way? Worn out. No life left in us. Our battle with sin, we've lost. We know all the right things to say, but there is no area in which we are actually living them and we feel dead and dried up. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and He set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? very first thing that Ezekiel says as he's going to this valley is I was brought out there by the Spirit of the Lord. Listen to what he's told to do. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and will make flesh come upon you uh, with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You have a footnote there for the word breath. It says breath in the NIV. Breath can be spirit, can be wind, or it can be breath. Isn't that weird that one Hebrew word can be three words in English? Isn't that a little strange? Well, which is it? Is it wind, is it spirit, or is it breath? Ten times this word, ruach, appears in these next 14 verses. Ten times. Sometimes it's translated spirit. Sometimes it's translated wind. And sometimes it's translated breath. That's an interesting thing because in English when we think about wind, we think about kites and looking at trees moving. When you think about breath, you think about naturally living. And when you think about the Spirit, it is something that is kind of metaphysical, right? In Hebrew, all of those things are described by one word. Ruach. Spirit. Well, maybe it's just a Hebrew problem. What about Greek? In Greek, it is all one word. Pneumos. Whether you're saying wind, spirit, or breath, it's all pneumos. Well, why in these Bible languages is it all the same? And why have we compartmentalized it? Well, we think of breathing as just a natural part of human physiology. 
but spiritual things, those must be related to God. In the Bible languages, there are absolutely no different. Have you ever said something like, you know, my spiritual life is kind of on the rocks right now. My business is doing good, but my spiritual... There's no sense. Jesus never said those words. Because to the Hebrews, all life is spiritual. There's no such thing as breathing because you are spiriting. You are receiving. I listen to Brother Abel pray, and sometimes he prays in other tongues, and sometimes he prays in English, and sometimes he prays in a known tongue Spanish. Now, English and Spanish both have these... these this is not a lesson in etymology, I'm sorry. But they both have these similar roots. They all go back to Latin. You want to know how you say breathe in Latin? Spiritus. Another way that they said it in uh, more ancient Latin? Spirate. Think about this in English. We respirate. You hear the roots in the word. We're respirating. If a car is not turbo-injected, it's naturally aspirated. You hear the word in there. Spirit. This means that there is something inherently spiritual just about breathing. So what God is telling Ezekiel in this situation is, what I did at the very beginning, when I injected you with some of myself, my life, I will do here again. Now let me ask you, is there, is it, is there an Israel on the planet today? Yes. yes. So is this a now, or is this a later kind of thing? Well, in 586 B.C., they go into captivity. In 516, they begin coming out in waves. By the first century, was there an Israel? Yes. Were they destroyed in A.D. 70? Ceased to be a nation for 1,800 and some odd years? Yes. And are they there again? Yes. Respiration, friends. As surely as God is breathing life that's going in to His creation, the question is, are you receiving it? Are you receiving it? There is a now and later principle in the Word. And I want to tell you that we have pushed too much to later. This is not a message about eschatology. This is in its heart a question of, do you have to wait for your dry bones to come to life? Or has God already breathed into you? Do you have to wait and aspire, like that word, to be spiritual? Or are you already inherently the most spiritual thing on the planet just when you breathe? See, well, I guess I will hold on to that thought for a minute. Turn with me to John 11. Tell me when you're there. there. John 11. There. Look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, the problem is the proximity of the Lord. Isn't this why people go to church to get closer to the Lord? Now, I'm a big fan of going to church. I mean, you know that. But if you're closer to the Lord at church than you are at home, something's wrong in your home. Well, I just want to go, go up on a mountain, get all alone with the Lord, and I'll be close to the Lord. Then something's wrong with you when you're with people. Well, you know, I just, I, I, I just need to, to go far away and get alone with the Lord. Then something's wrong with you when you're near. When God injected Himself into you by a violent and rushing nashima, He put His Ruach, His Spirit, in you. You became inherently spiritual. Think about this, friends. 
Spend your whole life searching for God. You're breathing His presence right now. Amen. To some, it is a fragrance of life, and to others, the stench of death. Some find heaven in our existence now because we feel connected to the God of heaven, and others only hell. Chaos, lack of shalom, everywhere they go, spreading bad things. The prophet of God came to the valley of dry bones, and he began to breathe into them, and there was a wind that began to rattle it. There are times we need to be re-spirited, there is no question. But you never cease to be spiritual. It is who you are. The question is, are you being who you are? Or trying to be someone else? Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Come on now. Is that now or now or what a great question when I face a problem the Bible says right now right now without faith it is impossible to believe God what's the next line for anyone who believes must believe that he exists in my situation and it rewards those who earnestly seek him see we call faith believing something will happen in the future I'm telling you where faith meets the rubber meets the road is, will it happen now, not later? Have you noticed that when trying to pass off a supremely arrogant, ridiculous lie, like you used to be primordial soup of some kind, it had to occur a long, long, long time ago. And if there's going to be something fantastic, right? Something amazing, supernatural, awesome, it's got to be far, far, far into the future. Why? Because we have a now and later problem. Right now, Jesus is empowering you to live. Amen. Right now, the power of God is available for you. Right. Faith is not faith in tomorrow's circumstances. Today. Faith is faith today. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Right now. Amen. Jesus said to her, I'm sorry, Martha answered, I know He will rise in the, la in the resurrection at the last day. Well, praise God, you've got your doctrinal statement right. But how is that affecting your life? Today, Jesus was standing her with her. He was the resurrection. He was the life. And she's saying, well, I know in the future this will happen. Come on, saints. I know God will provide for me. <laughs> but right now I'm going to fret about it and bite my fingernails off. I know that He will save me. But right now you're damned? No, we, we claim salvation right now. Why do we not claim any of the other things? Right now. Now, see, I passed around the dirt because I want you to understand there's two ways of looking at this as it's being passed around the room. It's just potting soil, right? Just an ordinary thing with no beauty or majesty. But when God's ruach intertwines with that, you might be staring at a son of man who is the son of God. Did you think I was talking about Jesus? I bet your mind immediately went there, didn't it? Why did Jesus call himself Son of Man? Because he was just like you. That's right. Why was he the Son of God? Well, I understand. He's deity in a way nobody else is. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. But didn't he give you the power to become a Son of God? Yes. Yes. See, why when we look at our lives do we see dirt? But when we look at him, we only see righteousness. 
He died to give you his righteousness. He tore the veil so that you could stand in his righteousness. Maybe we have a faith problem when we don't realize it. Maybe, standing here like Martha, we know that everything will happen in the end, but that does us no good because we're not living then, we're living now. It's not enough to believe that God will set things right. Is He doing it this moment for you? Are you doing it for Him? I think she had a now and later problem. But she gets a revelation. Why? Because she sees something that was dirt coming to life. Come on now, if you leave a body long enough, what does it become? Dirt. He was a good four days into the process. He already began to stink. Is that what you want in your house? But when God breathes into it, it becomes something altogether supernatural. Are you alive? Is your breath coming in and out of you? Mm. What an amazing thing. Look at John 5. Start with me in 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not will have, has right now. And will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come. A time is coming and has now come. Many things in the Bible are not now and later problems. They have come and they're still coming. We're walking in it right now and we will walk in it in a greater degree later. Friends, you can believe that you're going to be an Olympic skier someday. But if you do not put on skis now, how do you think that is going to happen? Well, you just say, "Uh uh-huh, at a few key points during the doctrinal statement. Does it make it so? You can be doing and even saying all of the right things, but never know who you are in Christ. I want to tell you something about who you are in Christ. Everybody recognize that symbol? (laughs) Now, look, I know I've gone off the deep end. Superheroes are something else, aren't they? Peter Parker was... Rather, he kind of became Spider-Man, didn't he? What had to happen? Some radioactive spider had to bite him. He wasn't born Spider-Man, was he? He was born just a regular dude, kind of a nerdy dude at that. Something happened to him, and he then put on a special suit, right? And identifies himself as a superhero. How about Bruce Wayne? He's just a rich guy, got some money. But he's got the neat little utility belt and some special armor puts on a special suit, he becomes Batman. One of the things that's neat about that symbol up there is that this superhero was born that way. He innately was a superman. When he put on special clothes, he was trying to fit in with everyone else because who he was was a superman. When you see that S, don't think I'm preaching comic books today. I'm telling you, you are a spiritual man. That's who you are. When you put on clothes that look like everybody else's and you go to work with everybody else, you are trying to fit in with them, but that is not who you are. You are inherently spiritual because you are alive by the divine union of God's presence in potting soil. That's who we are. Read with me, First John. Tell me I'm lying. 
First John 3 1. Tell me when you're there. Why is it only the young people speak in this church? Come on now. <laughs> I thought you were young, Elizabeth. <laughs> First John 3 1 How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called does it say we will be called? Should be called. What is your natural state right now in Christ? A child of God. Friends, every time you pile more dirt on you to hide the breath of God that is in you, it's like Clark Kent putting on his nerd glasses. Going to work at the Daily Planet, trying to fit in with the regular old people. You were called to be supernatural. You're not called to be a regular old Joe. This is not something we have to aspire to be, to try to be. It is who you are by virtue of a rebirth in Christ. That is us. But when the church doesn't know who it is, when it has an identity crisis, you see a whole lot more Clark Kent than Superman. In fact, that's a great description for what I thought of the church before I came into it. What a bunch of geeks. I did. I didn't want anything to do with them. And every time I met a man that professed to be a Christian, you know, especially if he was a preacher, he talked in an octave that I just couldn't handle, and he had a wet fish handshake, a 50-mile-an-hour haircut, and seemed like a circus freak to me. When I met people that said they were Christians, what that meant was they were hermits who didn't have anything to do with anybody or anything and had no fun. Right? <coughs> hey, man, we're going to go water skiing. We're Christians. We don't do that. Why? There's bathing suits. Uh, your God must be really powerful. I couldn't find anything that Christians could do until I went to a softball tournament. Then I found out how Christians act. It's a fist fight at the first Christian softball tournament I ever went to. The music minister's son attacked the pitcher. They got into a fight. They were on the same team. It was not even two opposing teams. Yeah. Superman. Sometimes we have so much dirt kicked around us that you cannot see who a man was called to be. Maybe it's time to knock the dust off. Focus more on the breath than the dirt. Let's be honest. They're both there. Romans 7 addresses that whole issue. But that was not the point of your existence that you were dirt. The point of your existence was that the heavenly divine nature came to be a part of you while you were dirt to make you something more. Come on, that is an amazing thing. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Don't you think it's a shame when something beautiful white and pristine goes and rolls in the mud? Every time I wash my little dachshund, he runs right outside and rolls in the nastiest thing he can find. We could stand around and say, oh, what a shame. The dachshund is becoming dirty. But when God did it, when he rolled around in the dirt, he made the dirt more like him. He didn't become more like the dirt. See, Jesus, Jesus was incarnate among us. He looked just like us to make us more like him, not God more like man. Come on, that's worth thinking about, saints. If you just can't handle my crazy Superman analogy, think of it as the spiritual man. He called you 
be like him. Amen. He could wear a beard and dress as a first century Jew. And he chose that. But who was he? He was the divine nature of God. A spiritual man. I don't want to go along with silly stories. I want to get into communion. I want to get into some of the things that feed us. But I heard a pastor share a story the other day, and I will do my very best to make it brief. Young eagle falls out of the nest just as he's coming out of an egg. He falls to the base of the tree, knocks himself on the head, and forgets who he is. The first thing that he sees are little mice. So he assumes he's a mouse. The mice are kind of kind to him. They take him in. He lives with the mice. When the mice go out to dig and forage, little lumpy mice eagle, mouse eagle, goes out to try to dig and forage. Takes him longer. He's not very good at it. But he figures some mice are black, some are white, some are gray. I'm just ugly. <laughs> One day a bird of prey is flying over. All the mice run. So little mouse eagle takes off running too. He can't run like they can. He's got big, clumsy, talon-looking feet. Swoops down, an eagle swoops down, stands right beside him. Mouse eagle says, don't eat me, don't eat me, don't eat me. The eagle looks at him and laughs and says, eat you, why would I eat you? He says, because I'm a mouse. The eagle gets kind of a kick out of that and says, come with me. Follows him to a string. He says, look in there. When the little mouse eagle looks in, he sees the most beautiful eagle staring back at him and he's confused. He says, come on, man, you, uh, you got arms? Yeah, I got arms. They don't work as well as my buddies, but I got arms. Stretch them out. Move them up and down. He begins to fly. Suddenly, Mouse Eagle is having a revelation. He's not just a mouse. He looks at the big eagle and says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. The eagle says, what for? I didn't do anything to you. I just showed you what you were meant to be. What if Jesus' ministry has everything to do with forgiving you of sin? Everything to do with being born again. But then there is a three-year part of His ministry that is just trying to tell you how to be what God always intended for you to be. What if He's trying to teach you how to be inherently you, which is spiritual? Isn't that worth thinking about a little bit? When we take communion, there will be so many things that you think about. Sins of commission might come into mind. Well, I should not have done this. Sins of omission might come into mind. I was supposed to do this and I didn't. I would ask you to put somewhere on your list, am I living the supernatural life that is really life? Because that's who you are. When I thought about who we are, I could not help but think about dirty oppression. What does the devil do that has got the church into such a position where Jesus could say something like, greater things than this you will do, and not a single person in the church is doing it? In this picture, which happens to be made of dirt, you see a man's face being pushed into the dirt. I'm going to read you these scriptures in Exodus because I think you'll recognize them. Exodus 1, 8 through 14 teaches something. It says that there was a new Pharaoh in Egypt who didn't know about Joseph. He looked at the Hebrew people and decided to put harsh taskmasters over them to oppress them and treat them ruthlessly. 
This is how the princes in Egypt became slaves in Egypt. They started looking down at the earth that they were working and forgetting that they had a calling from heaven above. This is called oppression, friends. When the devil pushes on you and he begins to get you to think of your life as more dirt than Ruach, you are oppressed. He did his job so well that by Exodus 2, verse 7, we have the God of the universe calling supernaturally to Moses. Moses is standing in a place where he sees a theophany of sorts, a bush that represents God. And he hears an audible voice speaking to him. And you remember what Moses says? No, God, send somebody else. I don't speak with them. No, God, I, I, I can't do that. They won't listen to me. No, God, I mean, I, no, no, no. Did you hear what oppression had done to him? The time that he spent in Egypt working, the time that he spent in Egypt had robbed him of who God called him to be. And 40 years out of the desert all alone did not change who he was. I wonder if God's voice is calling to you saying, you are called to be something more. Brother Usto Shivana has not a lot of good things going on in his life and a few that maybe we could all just slap our knee and laugh about. Just like anybody could say about me. But one thing that I love is when he looks at a body of believers and he says, you should be the Christian the devil's mama warned him about. <laughs> As I began to think about this, how we got into this dirty oppression. We're always focused on becoming clean, becoming clean, becoming clean, washing off dirt. Friends, dirt is what you are. It's just supposed to be mixed with God's Spirit. Maybe what we need to do is stop trying to be something other than human and just be the humans God called us to be, subduing the earth. Why is it in church art they always look like these strange, effeminate aliens? Somehow off-world super spiritual. I want to assure you, Jesus didn't look like that. None of the apostles looked like that. They looked like regular men that God had breathed into. Your life is not supposed to look like something super spiritual. It's supposed to look like life, which is super spiritual. Ephesus. Ephesus is something worth thinking about. We're going to move to communion here in a minute. <clears throat> But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about a man who went to Ephesus. Turn with me to Acts 19. Go to sleep. Hello. What's going to say? I thought this was good. Maybe I got more dirt. There. In Acts 19, I want you to pick up with me in verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, miracles are just so mundane. I mean, miracles are so common. God did extraordinary miracles. I want to tell you, this is a time when Paul has entered Ephesus. By the way, Priscilla and Aquila ministered to Apollos in Ephesus. That's one of the first things that happens in Ephesus. Nobody knows for sure what happened. But it seems that he knew the word of God accurately. And after Priscilla and Aquila got done with him, he knew the word more adequately. 
Then the very next thing in the text has to do with an immersion in God's Holy Spirit. So I'll let you connect those dots any way that you want. It's possible to know all about God and be accurate. But not be adequate. Can you can you give me an amen for this concept? Truth is more than just factual accuracy. Truth has to be something that is in sync with God's spirit. It's not enough to be technically right. You can be technically right and yet everything about you be wrong, can it? We were called to be in sync with God's spirit. Something that happens in Ephesus is a very small team led by one Jewish apostle, Shaul Paulus of Tarsus, shows up and God begins to do extraordinary miracles. I find that humorous, as if there's some other kind of miracle, right? (laughs) Then what you see in the next part of this narrative is you see that Jews who had not yet received Messiah were so impressed by what they were seeing They went out and tried to put it into practice, saying the right words, but not yet being in sync with God's Spirit. They went out to perform exorcisms, and they didn't work. Then what do you see after that? You see such an upheaval in the spiritual climate in Ephesus that people are dragging their books of sorcery. The Gentiles now are bringing their books of sorcery to the city square, and they are burning I would say something had to upset their apple cart to go burn their books. By the way, they were worth 50,000 years, I'm sorry, days wages. 50,000 days wages is the value of what was burned. Would you say that that's a big upheaval? If in Sugar Land right now, whatever synagogue is here began going out trying to cast out demons in the name of Yeshua, would that catch people's attention? If then the Gentiles who were around, who were not yet worshiping Messiah, came and brought all of their occultic things, all of their humanistic practices, and it was worth 50,000 days wages, and they burned them in the city square, would that be an upheaval? It caught the city's attention so much that by Acts 19, verse 27 and verse 34, there is a theater, the one that is pictured right here, It seats about 25,000 people. (laughs) Ephesus had half a million people in it. It was a jewel in the Roman belt, is what the historian said. A preeminent city, something kind of like New York. By Acts 19, 27 and 34, this one man, Paul, preaching in a supernatural way, living as God called him to live, has caused 25,000 people to join in unison with one fear. If somebody doesn't stop this man, our virginal goddess, Artemis, will be stripped of her divine majesty and glory. Is that a powerful person? He was just living as God called him to live. No more or less spiritual than you. Just being true to his divine function. For two hours, they shouted, Great is our team. 25,000 people standing against one. It has a little bit of a Mount Carmel ring to it, doesn't it? (laughs) One man turned the whole city upside down. It's interesting because in Acts 20, 
when Paul knows he will never be in Ephesus again, he stops and warns the Ephesian elders. That's 20, 28 through 31. He said, look, ravenous beasts are going to rise up from your midst. They'll be dressed in sheep's clothing. Watch out for them. Paul did his job so well that it didn't happen in his lifetime. They had opposition after opposition. In fact, by the year 96, Domitian, a Roman emperor, set up his Neoporus in Ephesus. Neoporus means temple warden. He set his throne on top of the Greek pantheon of gods. He had a little ego issue. He wanted everyone to know that he was above everything that had ever been worshipped. But the Christians in Ephesus didn't bow their knee to Domitian. Because one spiritual man had lived among them. As God had called them to. And he taught them who they were. Isn't it interesting that even when you can't buy and sell at the market in Ephesus called the Agora, without worshiping Domitian and receiving a mark of ashes on your forehead or hand, that the Ephesians would not worship him? You know, 40 years after Domitian died, 90% of Ephesus was Christian because one man lived as God called him. Now it's true. The one man sent Timothy there as well. Late in life, Eusebius tells us that John spent his years there fighting the practices of the Nicolaitans. The only warning the book of Ephesus received, or the nation, the people of Ephesus received in the book of Revelation, is return to your first love. Stay dwelling in what God has shown you. When you look at the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote to them something over and over and over. You see the list of scriptures right here? Ephesians 1.3, he reminds them that they received every blessing in the heavenly realms. In Ephesians 1.20, he mentions heavenly realms. In Ephesians 2.6, heavenly realms. 3.10, heavenly realms. 6.12, heavenly realms. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. It's almost as if he is trying to remind them that they are inherently spiritual. So their battles are spiritual. They did their job so well that it took about 300 years for Christianity to die in Ephesus. In the year 431, at the Third Ecumenical Council. They met to decide something very important. They wanted to get their doctrine right. Was Mary the Christotokos? Very fancy way to say the bearer of Christ. Or was she the Theotokos? The mother of God. And in 431, in the city of Ephesus, Artemis city, Mary was declared to be the mother of God bestowing upon her at least through influence divine majesty because it wasn't enough simply to think of her as living dirt which is what God called her to be we could focus on the cult of Mary worship if we wanted to we'd alienate all of our Catholic friends and it's okay if the truth alienates sometimes it also sets free but I'm more interested in how you were living 
because the scripture says in John something very important. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. You ever seen that scene in Predator where Arnold Schwarzenegger covered himself with mud? He covered himself with mud and the Predator couldn't see him, right? It was like camouflage. This is great for the church. The church is covering itself with as much dirt as it can so it can't be distinguished from the world and the Predator won't hurt them. They were hiding in a room for fear of the leadership. And this leadership happened to be worldly. Jesus came and stood among them and He said, Shalom be with you. Right order between God and man. Harmony be upon you. Unity be upon you. After He said this, He showed them His hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. It is almost as if a lack of peace with what God's called you to will cause you to act and be something other than what He's called you to Something's wrong when Christians find more comfort in the fellowship of the lost than they do the saints. You're having an identity crisis. You are inherently spiritual because God is breathing in and out of you right now. You'll be true to yourself. Listen to the last reminder that Jesus gives them. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He... What's that say? Breathe on them. Numos. And said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, God has either breathed on your life and you're continuing in Him with every breath. Or you're trying to put on some ridiculous worldly suit to be something other than what He's called you to be. My little boy preached at a church in North Houston not long ago. It was Halloween evening. He said, all over the body of Christ right now, Christians are upset because this evening, the world is putting on masks and going door to door. And yet many people sit in the church right now wearing a mask of a different kind. Yeah. Are you clothed with salvation? Are you who God called you to be? A spiritual union between what is earthly or fleshly and what is heavenly? And heavenly is in control. Are you putting on a mask, a fig leaf, something to deceive yourself and everyone around you as to what's really happening? I think when we take communion here, I think it might be worth doing something. We always focus on the fact that Jesus died to forgive us of sins. This is true. But He also breathed upon you that you might live the spiritual life that He lived and taught us to live. The Older Testament in Ezekiel 36 does not teach that the problem with human beings is that they have a heart of flesh. It teaches that the problem with human beings is that they have a heart of stone. And so God will remove their stony heart Give them hearts of flesh, dirt, again. And He will give them His Spirit, His Ruach, to be empowered to keep God's commands, His mitzvahs. 
I'm telling you that every time you breathe, you are receiving his empowerment to live in the way that he authentically called you to live. That's the point. Not to go to church and put on religious clothes. Not so that you look all right in front of your parents. Not so that you pacify your conscience. But every breath that you take, as the song says, with every moment that you're awake, it is supposed to be a love affair, a divine kiss that has occurred. Is that what your relationship with him looks like? It is supposed to. That is the point. Jesus didn't just get out of the grave to show you he had power over death in the future. That's a now and later issue. He wanted to show you he has that power right now. Are you waiting for a resurrection? Are you waiting for dry bones to come to life? Or are you dry bones that have come to life? Are you waiting to cross over from death to life? Or right now, have you already crossed over? I think we need the S on our chest. We need to be reminded that we're spiritual men. And then we'll begin to act like them. It'd be an awful shame if you didn't stop bullets and you were called to. It'd be an awful shame if you didn't outrun trains and you were called to. If you settled for an ordinary life when God had called you to extraordinary I think it'd be more than a little awkward when you meet him. Maybe you're already experiencing miracles. Have you turned Ephesus upside down? Does the whole city know where you stand? Are the people that worship false gods scared of you? These are the examples of the spiritual men that have gone before us. Come on now. This is what you were called to. Every word that was written in this holy canon of Scripture was written to a people then, and a people now, and a people yet unborn. Because every generation is supposed to have these Holy Ghost game changers. Maybe it's time to stop sitting around waiting for someone else to do it. I'm going to step down so we can finish our worship. I want to leave you with the thought that Leo Tolstoy said everyone dreams of changing the world. No one dreams of changing themselves. Maybe the place to start right now is with a personal revival to who you were called to be. A spiritual divine union. And then as you live as God called you to, See if it doesn't bear fruit all around you. You can sit back and complain your church is dead. You can sit back and complain about the brothers around you. Or you can stand up and be what God's called you to be right now. I ask that when you take that communion and you look at the wafer, you recognize that it represents the same dirt you're made of. But it was totally submitted to the Father. When you see that wine, it represents the same blood that's flowing through your veins. Nothing magical about it. No more or less divine was his literal blood than yours. 
what was divine was that the breath of God had complete control over there. He died that you could do the very same thing. Stand to your feet. We will worship. As we worship, whenever you feel breathed on from God, you feel free to go grab the bread and the wine. Wine is on that side of the room. Grape juice is on this side of the room. That way you don't even have to debate the theology of it. <laughs> and then we will all take it together as we close our service. Because there's been one body and we want to be unified in that. If what you heard today was anything other than God has called you to be supernatural, you weren't listening. I want the age where people are looking for a great man of God to die. <laughs> and let your highest aspiration to be the man God called you to be. Amen. And everything will yeah. take care of itself. Amen. I want to go ahead and just tell you there is no such thing as a great man of God. If you ever think you've met one, get along with their wife for a while. <laughs> They're just men. Regular men. Dirt, just like you. But when they live as God called them to be, He does extraordinary things to them. Yes. And then we can be you. Let's worship that you.
There was one body that was broken that we might be healed. There was one person's blood poured out that we might be in a new covenant with the King. You already were given a breath that some people would call natural. But then he breathed his divine nature upon you. His Holy Spirit. Peter says we have been made participants in the divine nature of God. When you eat of this cracker, you're pledging that something more than just eating a cracker is happening. You're pledging to live your life in the spiritual way that He did. Connected to the Father, even to the point of breaking the flesh. Breathed in by the Father, even to the point of laying the flesh down. That's your desire. I said, be healed as you eat this. Amen.
Let's bring somebody else to the table. Monday night we'll be in Ephesians 2. Wednesday night, Brother JJ is bringing a word, part of our open pulpit series. Next Sunday, a man has traveled all the way from Sri Lanka to be in our church. His name is Woody Blok. And we met to spend 10 minutes together and ended up having a Holy Ghost prayer meeting that lasted several hours and then spread over days and then in two different cities. And now he's coming to speak here. So we have good things in store for you. God has good things in store for you. Go out and live the supernatural life that he's called you to. And let others be drawn to your life that they might be drawn to his life. Amen. Amen. Join the hands of the people around you. We'll pray close. His hand's not dirty. You can touch it. <laughs> it's been a real honor to have some of you here today that are not traditionally associated with part of our family. I want you to know membership to us is when we see the same life in your eyes that is in ours. That's membership. That's right. Thank you for coming. We love you. You're invited back again and again and again. We ask one thing. Don't steal somebody's seed if you're not serious about striving for the Lord. If you're serious about striving for the Lord, as sure as all your hands are joined right now, we will join with you in your struggle. We will fight to be everything that we were called to be in the Lord. Mighty God, we thank you. We thank you that your unifying presence is upon us. We thank you, Lord God, that your spirit has washed away our sins. Holy One, we now have confidence to stand in the holy place with you. We know that we're potting soil, but you have lavished your grace upon us. And we have become so much more. Lord, we ask that you would show us what is pleasing to you, that we might live lives worthy of the high calling you have placed upon us. Lord God, teach us to walk in your power and freedom as you designed us to walk. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Y'all go take the world by storm.